This is alternative history. Darn it! This is alternative. <laughs> oh yeah! This is alternative history. Rod, if you had to kill a bunch of Nazis, what would be your preferred method of murdering them? I think I would use the Ark of the Covenant or the Cup of Jesus Christ. <laughs> you know, melt their faces off. I too would would go the melting faces route, but I would just I would just burn them alive, probably, if I had to, because I mean I would think that would be extremely painful. Fire death yeah. by fire does not seem appealing. Um, speaking of fire, so my middle son Benson asked me today during uh, when I was making him lunch, who would win in a fight, fire or lava? And I was like, damn it, I can't answer that question. <laughs> because it's a good question. He also asked me once, uh, can fire burn fire? And I was I just walked away. I didn't even I didn't couldn't even wrap your brain around that. Yeah, I just I ran away. I was like, That's see a you good later. Question. I don't know. That is a good question. And uh, he's a very inquisitive young man. So thank you uh, for uh, listening to that little preamble. We are River West's own Milwaukee, Wisconsin based alternative oh. history podcast. I am Rodrigo and this is Brian. Here at the Alternative History Podcast. Yeah, we talk about a topic, decide whether or not it merited a different result, different perception. Alternative history. history. Sometimes we do something different. Yeah, sometimes we'll talk about a a topic or a subject, or in this case we're going to be talking about a movie that, that... posits its own alternative history so and last week we talked about a show yeah specifically. yeah we talked about an episode the episode of the original star trek series city on this the city on the edge of forever every time i was trying to research it i kept on writing the city on the edge of tomorrow and I it was just the dumbest shit yeah. i couldn't find it whatever sorry but, yeah so i mean it's it's a it's a it's pretty lengthy like when i was writing it out on the website like to write it out i was like i kept on writing city on the edge and i kept on forgetting the yep, yep. And i was like damn i was like no one like like the font kept on getting smaller i was like god like we just, next time we need to use a smaller titled episode agreed but so anyhow last week we analyzed the episode and then you know gave you our thoughts about it yeah and, and pose the question yeah and roughly it was Twitter. would you kill the woman would you allow the woman you love or not even if it was a man like the person you love would you allow them to die if it meant saving the world from having to live under a nazi rule mm-hmm. yep. so and the catch line is edith keeler must die that was the character uh, the name of the character that captain kirk let perish correct so we we sent it to the people uh the good folks on Twitter voted. 87% agreed that Edith Keeler must die, that we must not live under a Nazi rule. 13% of those bastards were okay with 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 staying, keep, saving the, the, the person they love and us, us being dominated by Nazi overlords for the rest of our known history. Well, conquers so, all, I guess. Exactly. So, <laughs> speaking of bastards... What's the topic of this week's show, Rod? This week we'll be taking a look at the 2009 Quentin Tarantino film *Inglorious Bastards*. Yes, came out well May 20th, 2009. Uh, it was it came it had its debut at Cannes, okay, and then released later, right? Like yeah, August 21st, 2009, in the United States. So, speaking of 2009, what we like to do is when we can narrow it down to a year. We will um, try to take you back in that year. Yeah, exactly. Uh, we'll go over, you know, some movies, TV, music, a little bit of news, some sports, and uh, try to get you a feel of uh, 
of what was going on in 2009. It wasn't that long ago, but a lot of... I swear it, to God, dude, I closed my eyes and I'm right there. Like, it really wasn't feeling like it was far away. Yeah. But more and more, I think about it, it's nine years ago. That is quite a, quite a long time ago now. Uh, life for me has been moving at the speed of light. So it feels like I just blinked and it was 2009. <laughs> so, yeah. like, the older I get, you're just kind of like, you, like, my life. What happened? <laughs> Crow's feet. Wrinkles. Baldness. It's all happening at once. Anyhow, so enough about my trials and tribulations. So the movies of 2009, we had Avatar, and these are the box office oh, order good. for the United States. Avatar, the the big blue Smurf people. Yep. Uh, Transformers: Revenge of the Fallen. Didn't I? I, I don't. That though, I can't remember. Did we watch some of these, uh, and then yeah. I stopped watching these. So well, I'm not sure if I watched them or not. Like I, I don't recall. They were that. all pretty much the same movie, basically booty. Like they, 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 they're like 100 percent booty rating. A little disappointing so, for being Transformers. Yeah, there'll be more for sure. Uh, Harry Potter and the Half Blood Prince. I've actually never seen any Harry Potter movie. Twilight Saga: New Moon. So I unfortunately have watched. I watched the first Twilight movie. It was so I awful. Not. That I just I just kept watching them. It was kind of it wasn't so much a guilty pleasure as it was like I felt like I was like uh, like cleansing my soul oh, okay. for like sins that I've committed. So I was kind of it was kind of like a like a like a penance penance. Is that okay? Yeah, is that it? you know I'm Catholic, so you, yeah, you get penance. It. Penance threw me off. It was kind of like a penance. Yes. I said penance. It was like a penance. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, I watched those. They're awful. Um, the movie Up. Uh, it's a cartoon movie about an old man who uh, puts a bunch of balloons on his house. I think it's a little more than that, but yes, I, I believe it's an examination of. Wait, yeah, I'm not going to say we're not we're not going to talk about the entire movie, but the, the the lasting image is a is a dude in his house with a kid with balloons floating through the yeah. Anyhow, all right, The Hangover, Star Trek. I love that movie. The, I think it's fantastic. That was the reboot movie that they made. JJ Abrams. Um, yep. Uh, the Blind Side. One of the Alvin and the Chipmunks, the series, and I've seen all of them, and mm-hmm. I've slept through all of them. Sherlock Holmes mm-hmm. came out. Not a lot of good top no. movies. Not, so, let me rephrase that. Not a lot of movies I like from the top. Yeah. Thing. So the other movies, uh, one of the Fast and Furious movies, I don't know. They're all, I mean, they all have like Fast and Furious in the title, so I have a hard time telling right. like when they start. And right. I didn't bother to look it up right, because right. I don't really give a Agreed, agreed. Crap. <laughs> Uh, Terminator Salvation. So that was a pretty divisive movie. Like, I did not hate that movie, but a lot of folks did not like that movie. Yeah, and I, and I compared it to Transformer Three with Claire Danes from My So Called Life. I actually think yeah. I like Batman's uh, Batman's Terminator more than that. Yeah, one, to be honest with you. Yeah, that's probably true. I, by I probably Batman's Terminator, that. I apologize. Christian Bale was in Terminator Salvation. Yeah, he's always he's Batman. Batman does. Exactly. <laughs> Just like Bruce Willis is Die Hard. Exactly. Uh, Watchmen. Uh, a uh, it was a um, graphic novel. Graphic novel. Movie. A graphic like novel, more. which also posits its own alternative history. Yep. It you takes place in a, in a alternative universe, a different timeline, so to you speak. You like that movie? And see it is more than I do. Yeah. Sure. The the graphic novel is fantastic. Yep. Uh, Precious came out that year, and there were lots and lots of other sequels. Yep. Um, Inglorious Bastards was twenty fifth in the box office. At 120 million in the United States, 321.5 million worldwide. Not too bad. TV American Idol was in the number one and two spot. We've talked about this in the past. You think this is cheating? It's cheating. Had two it is cheating. Shows it should just be like you're the number one show, or it's like, well, well, then why wouldn't they put that horse shit on all week? I, that's what I would do. I would just dominate. Like, why? Why bother? 
Like people obviously love it enough to watch it two days. I, I never. Why not two? Why not three more? I never watched American Idol. I know a whole bunch of folks love that show and watch the hell out of it, but I actually never, never, it never caught me. One, everybody knows I can't sing, so I have no interest in singers, and that, that was the the main thing. I just I watched it a little bit. Me. Like I, ne- I, I didn't really get into it. I did enjoy watching. I mean, for a while, like you enjoy watching other people humiliate themselves because it makes you feel better about you. I disagree. I actually go the other way. I like the moments where like the superstar shows up and you had no idea. The person well, that too. Superstar. That's those nice are, those too. are better for yeah. me than the humiliation. Of the yeah, but I mean, I mean, people liked watching that stuff. I enjoyed it for like maybe like a season or two, and then I was just like, I'm a horrible human being. I need to cleanse my soul by watching uh, Twilight. Twilight. Yeah, <laughs> right, right, right. so I did that to myself to make myself a, pen- a penance. Penance. Um, penance. 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 <laughs> Cut that shit out. It was a penance. You're trying to conflate repentant yeah. and penance. Uh, I can't. Whatever. Come yeah. on. Let's go. <laughs> had too much, our fans had too much coffee. <laughs> All right. So, American Idol. NBC Sunday Night Football is was the, apparently third because American Idol was one and two. Mm-hmm. Uh, Undercover Boss, The Big Bang Theory, Grey's Anatomy, Lost House, Desperate Housewives, Two and a Half Men. Shows I like Big Bang Theory. Yeah, I, think I w- talked about that. Yeah, I watched it. Well, I don't. I don't watch sitcoms until they go into syndication. So. I just can't. I, I don't. I'm not gonna waste the time on it until it's good. And if you have TBS, you know this show is always on. So yeah. It's and usually the first season of any show is kind of shitty. So I, I really don't really. I'm not. I'm a bad. I'm a bandwagon jumper when it comes to television because I ain't got Why t- are you gonna waste your time? Yeah. Garbage? I got time for that shit. I got other things to do. Okay. I got asses to wipe. I got people to feed. So Eastbound and Down also came out. That was a great show. I uh, hate HBO. That shit. I can't stand the show. Well, you don't like you do. You're not a big fan of that man that's in the show. What's his name? Danny McBride. I think he's been involved in one good performance, and that was on uh, he, Alien Covenant. He kinda, I think the guy's bum. Yeah. He kind of just plays himself over and over. Yep. But I mean, hey, he's obviously he's better at playing himself than I'm playing it myself. So good for him. Uh, Pawn Star or V. So Pawn Stars came out that year. Uh, there was a remake of B, the 1980s show about people who had like they were like lizardish aliens underneath. I just remember a lot of guys in like Beastmaster was in it, and the, and the Mark original, Singer. Well, the thing is, V back in the day had like two different like classic incarnations in the in the early 80s. They had like the they had like the show, and then they had like the miniseries, and like that's what people remember. They conflate both shows, but it was two different things. And nobody oh, I had no that. idea. Yep. Wow. And then, Interesting. And then this thing comes out, you can say, in 2009. I remember watching this because the... Now, unfortunately, I wish I'd done some research, but the main actress is a Brazilian lady. I think her name is Monica Boca something or other like that. Oh. She appears in some other stuff. But, but yeah, she appears in, in V. To your point, Lizard's coming to take over. Or yeah, I just remember like someone ripped someone part of someone's face off, and you're like, oh my god, he's a, like a lizard alien underneath there. Well, the thing that I remember of the 80s shows, yeah, that's what scared you. The thing that scared me was that they would always show them eating mice. You know, oh. like they, they'd have like a mouse, like hang a mice by his tail. And like, like a li- live one? Yeah, that's what the lizards ate. They didn't even like try to cook it? Nope. I mean, they were like, they had spaceships, right? They couldn't cook their food. Reptilians, apparently. Man. I can't explain it. Maybe some kind of disease you catch eating live food, man. That's why we cook it. Anyhow. Sometimes, yes. <laughs> yeah. All right. So that seems like a large oversight in that show. But anyhow. So the 30 for 30 ESPN series starts in 2009. That's a great series. There's some fantastic There's some fantastic sure. stuff in there. I think we referenced it at least once in another episode. I, I always recommend the... people watch that broke episode where the athletes lose all their money. It's phenomenal. Yeah. yeah. So you kind of do like seeing people... Uh, 
fail <laughs> no, in it's, life. No, it's, it's educational. Yeah. Like, All right. What not to do. In <laughs> <laughs> case I ever get me some. Exactly. Like, don't buy, like, 10 Maseratis. Like, it's just not going to work. <laughs> Sorry. All right. Uh, Conan O'Brien was the host of The Tonight Show in 2009. According to me, he still is the host of The Tonight Show. It's just on TBS now. When we talked about this, I, for me, I just going to blink an eye and it's right there. I swear this was much sooner, but this was like this. This is the show that he took over for Jay Leno. Yeah, and then Jay Leno came back, right, or some weird. Well, they so I mean, we may we may address this in a, in a future episode, but real quick, Jay Leno passed the torch to Conan O'Brien. They put Jay Leno on an hour before Conan O'Brien. Before the new, it was Jay Leno, the news, Conan O'Brien. Jay Leno's primetime show was terrible. Like, no one watched that horse shit. Yeah. yeah, So it was a bad lead-in for Conan. Right. So, historically, you had a primetime drama be a lead-in to the news that led into the in, into the show. On Thursday night. They didn't do that like, for yeah, Conor O'Brien, right. and they're yeah. like, hey, your ratings are, are not as good as uh, Leno's were. And he's like, that's because you got fucking Leno, like, bombing and right right, leading into me. Exactly. So, anyhow, I mean, there might be there's more to it, and we may discuss it later, but that's my quick take on it. Any, I, like I said, I still watch The Tonight Show. It's just on TBS. And to your point, I think he only lasted six months on NBC's Tonight Show. Yep. Yeah, June 1st, 2009 was his debut. His last show was on January 22nd, 2010. If you can watch that on like any kind of streaming device or something, his last show was phenomenal. Really? Yeah, it was, it was very moving. It was, it was great. So, anyhow, move on to music. Top five singles of 2009. Boom Boom Pow by the Black Eyed Peas. Poker Face by Lady Gaga. Just Dance by Lady Gaga. I Got a Feeling by Black Eyed Peas. And Love Story by the musical Praying Mantis, Taylor Swift. <laughs> so, the don't want to get in a relationship with her because she will rip you a new one in song. Exactly. Yes. Kill you on wax. Yeah, but, exactly. Uh, I, uh... I remember at that time in 2009, I was I had a job where I was picking up cable boxes, so I was in my car all the time driving around. You could not escape Lady Gaga, Poker Face, and what was the other song? Uh, Just Dance. Just Dance. That was yeah. That was on the radio every chase every like station you changed. That's what I remember about the summer of 2009. Yeah, I, I got nothing but like respect for her. She's I I saw her when she did the Super Bowl show. Was it last year? Or two years ago. Something two like that. Ago. I can't remember. She did good. She it was did, phenomenal. Very good performance. She was man. She's really she's very talented. So other music, Jay-Z came out with The Blueprint 3. Uh, Muse came out with The Resistance, uh, Neil Young, Near and Dear to Our Hearts, Fork in the Road. I'm not even familiar with his album unfortunately. I feel bad. And uh, the Mars Volta came out with Octahedron. Uh, Mars Volta was a band that we were pretty into for a while. Yeah, we both kind of They kind of they broke up and they, I think they're on to other things, but they were pretty uh it was a good rock band. It was one yeah. of those eras where we didn't have a rock band for a long time, and all of a sudden these guys rock. Well, yeah, we were kind of searching for stuff, and I know you brought the Mars Volta to me, and um, I probably fell in love with them a little bit more than you did. I think, well, I liked the first album, and then I think yeah. after that, I, you know how I get, I get, I get bored with you quick. Uh, do you want to go to sports, yeah, and then we'll, we'll go to news? Sounds good. So the year of sports, 2009, February 1st. I don't know my Roman numerals anymore. I apologize. So Super Bowl X. Super Bowl something 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 in Tampa Bay. Uh, the Pittsburgh Steelers defeated the Arizona Cardinals twenty-seven to twenty-three to win an NFL record six Super Bowls. San Antonio Holmes won the Super Bowl MVP. He caught the game-winning touchdown with thirty-five seconds remaining. It was a really good game. Uh, also, 
Pittsburgh linebacker James Harrison returned an interception for 100 yards for a touchdown, which is the longest Super Bowl play in NFL history. Yeah, and then somewhere in in an alternative history, uh, Ben Roethlisberger had both his knees shot out by a sniper. <laughs> and back to our real history in Hopefully. 2009, the New York Yankees defeated Philadelphia Phillies four games to two to win their 27th World Series. Uh, and Hidaki, Hidaki, Hideki Matsui uh, is named World Series MVP. In the NCAA basketball tournament, North Carolina beat Michigan State at Ford Field in Detroit. Uh, this was North Carolina's fifth title. Uh, in the NBA Finals, the Los Angeles Lakers defeated the Orlando Magic four games to one. Uh, Kobe Bryant won the NBA Finals MVP. And lastly, Barcelona beat Manchester United 2-0 in Rome in that year's European Champion League. Awesome. Thank you for that. News. So if you remember for our 2008 episode, which was the Dark Knight Dark episode, Knight. Uh, we talked that about uh, uh, Barack Obama had been elected president. 2009, he was sworn in as the first African-American president. The swine flu was all the rage in, in North America. Oh, H1N1? And all. H1N1 yeah, H1N1. Oh, my God. Um, well, yeah, we were scared of death. Yeah. Uh, Captain Phillips' ship, the MV Marisic cargo ship, was hijacked by Somalian pirates. And uh, later turned into a Tom Hanks movie, which is pretty much appears, appears to be Tom Hanks' mo: find some kind of uh, travel vehicular disaster um, or like mishap and turn it into a movie. Because if you look at it, he's got um, uh, he did the movie Sully about the uh, plane the plane that landed in the Hudson, Hudson and there. he did Apollo thirteen about the uh, um, the spacecraft that had a. Uh, uh, well, fire, uh, yeah, uh, that cool. fire, yeah, and then it'll get back on Earth. And he also did uh, Castaway, where he was in a plane and it, it blew up crashed. or something like that. Yeah. I don't know. And then he ended up on an island. So he's uh, technically, I mean, most of it's happened in the air. But if you count Captain Phillips, if you know. count Cap, well, Cap, yeah, land would be uh, Castaway because he's on sea. Would be Captain Phillips, mm-hmm. and then air would be Sully and Apollo thirteen. So he's got his bases covered, folks. Basically, don't travel with Tom Hanks. Yeah, or like, yeah, because or or if if something bad happens, just be like, well, I <laughs> hope with Tom. I really hope Tom Hanks can uh, can really capture the essence of who I am if I if I live through this Understood. crisis. Understood, so, right? Yeah, right. but I mean, you know, he's a good actor, so he probably can. Michael Jackson died on June twenty fifth of two thousand nine. I remember that yep. significantly. Yeah, and we were deal. still in the middle of the uh, U.S. recession slash financial crisis. Uh, by this point, it had probably gotten to be more of a um, a worldwide phenomena than just the United States. Yep. So, um, to, yep. yep. So uh, we are here to talk about the Quentin Tarantino movie *Inglorious Bastards*. So I did a blow by blow, scene by scene recap of the movie, and I know our listeners don't exactly want to hear me do that. I don't want to bore you to death either. So I'm going to do a synopsis. Sure. Basically, crystallize each section of the movie. The one thing I love about Quentin Tarantino movies is that he does it naturally, where he makes yeah. them like chapters. Where it makes it like it would like talking around in a circle about the movie at this would would be kind of detrimental because he lays it out so like perfectly, and and, and it's just and not just in this movie, but in all these movies. So I'm just yeah. gonna give you guys a synthesis of each chapter. So sure. chapter one, basically we are introduced to Colonel Hans Landa, played by Christoph Waltz. As he arrives at the Lapidite farm and roots out a Jewish family hidden in the baseboards of the Lapidite family house. Uh, everyone hidden in the baseboard is presumed to be dead. Shoshana is not and escapes out the back door. Landa chooses not to shoot her. You and I spoke off mic about this and we'll get to this in the future. 
But for whatever reason, I was thrown by that. Just shoot her in the back and this movie would be over. But yeah. they did not. So, uh, well, real quick, in the script, it's explained why he doesn't. We can talk about we'll it later. later. Thank but, you. Yeah. Chapter 2. We meet the bastards. Uh, Aldo, Rain, Brad Pitt, and his motley crew of Jewish-American soldiers. Basically, in a series of interviews, the audience is told of Rain and his company and why they are in France and shown a retelling of the bastards' work. The audience sees some of their greatest hits, scalping, brain bashing, and branding on foreheads. Greatest hits. These guys are in the Nazi killing business, and business is booming. Cousin business is a booming, I believe. That was a good line. Pitt Pitt says, yeah, it was a great line. Chapter 3, so the next three chapters are kind of big, so bear with me a moment. Chapter 3, basically we learn that four years after her family's execution, Shoshana now lives in Paris and owns and operates a cinema. We learn Frederick Zoller is a crack sniper, and he stars in propaganda film Nation's Pride, which highlights his heroics. He crushes hard on Shoshana and manages to convince none other than Dr. Joseph Gables to premiere Nation's Pride at Shoshana Cinema. Not only to have the premiere there, but to have the Nazi high command and over 100 or 300 Nazis at the cinema. Colonel Landa is here, and he'll be heading up security for the premiere. She ain't interested in Zoller. She got a man who happens right. to be black. Important, of course, because Nazis don't particularly care for black folks. Anyone they, who's not a Nazi, I Anybody think, who's really. not anything, exactly. And they compare, well, and this will also play a role in the, future, in the movie later. Sure. And they conspire to eliminate both important Nazis and a lot of Nazis by burning down the cinema using they gonna burn that fu- fucker up yeah just like we like like our preferred like method melting <laughs> melting them burning them it's all kind of I mean they're going to use whether you use the Ark of the Covenant or or old film I was gonna say hey, thank you. they use nitrate film which was the basis of film back in the 1940s yeah. and we learned that nitrate film was extremely flammable chapter 4 basically we learned that the British plan to kill most of the high command at Nation's Pride premiere the bastards essentially in disguise need to meet Bridget Van Hammerstark from now on I'll be calling her BVH uh, <laughs> to establish contact to be to be her escort in a basement bar one of the bastards essentially blows their blows their cover a shootout ensues uh, where everyone dies except BVH she's shot in the leg uh, the rest of the bastards are then informed that Hitler will be at the premiere and that the venue of the premiere has changed. Bastards alter the plan as opposed to being disguised as Nazis. They will now be disguised as Italians. Lastly, Londa, because of the evidence left at the bar, knows BVH is involved. Yeah. So basically, the, the main thing of this, this four cha- the, the first four chapters is that we have two congruent plots in play to execute the high command of the Nazis. And in, in Quentin Tarantino fashion, the the main evidence is a shoe because he loves feet. Yes, exactly. And so we got to stare at how he catches BBH's exactly. feet. Chapter 5. The bastard's plan is fucked from the word go. BBH dies and Rain is captured. Landa changes size. We learn that he has rigged Hitler's skybox with explosives and is accepting of the idea that the war could end tonight and strikes a deal. Shoshana kills and is killed by Zoller, but not before she puts the film, her film in. In the film, her face is the only thing on screen, and she tells the Nazis that they are about to die. Two of the bastards, Donnie and Omar, kill Hitler and a bunch of Nazis. Theater blows up. Everyone dies. In the the meantime, Londa has struck a deal with the U.S. Army. Uh, At the end of the film, Rain allows Londa to have his deal, but first he brands him as a Nazi. Yes. Man. Yep. And that's what he does. Yeah. And and with the knife in the forehead, brands him. In the, like so. But when you said they killed Hitler, I don't think the word like what's worse than killed. 
they massacred like, them. They, they killed them, they, they murdered him, and they homicided him all at once. Like, all yeah. together. It was, it was, like, they shot him so much in the face that you couldn't even... They started to fall off. Yeah. It wasn't yeah, enough. It was, it was brutal. But anyhow. So that's that's a quick rundown of the movie. So... We just wanted to get 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 the uh, you know the the steps in place before we start kind of looking breaking, the breaking it down as an alternative history, or, or and, 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 like. and film and more. Yeah, right. exactly. So uh, like like Rod said, it, the movie takes place in five chapters. The way it's set up, the first three chapters are basically to address each of the main leads. So you got them, yep. Colonel Landa, you got Aldo Aldo Rain, and you have Shoshana. Played by Christoph Waltz, Brad Pitt, and Melanie Laurent, yeah. respectively. All Christoph Waltz, if we want, you want to just talk about him for a little bit. He was phenomenal in this movie. Like he had He's some great. kind of weird, creepy, like like intelligent child vibe. You know what I mean? Like yeah, he yeah. he had he he seemed kid like, but he also seemed extremely intelligent. And he was like, good. Like yeah, like I I I never like, seen him prior to this film and. He did a hell of a job. Like he was creepy as hell. Like he he was smart. One of the things I liked about this movie, and we talked about this off mic, and I'm sure we'll discuss some more. It's basically a trilingual film. You really have to pay attention. Yes. And Christoph Waltz, I thought, did a really good job of jumping between the three languages and still playing it believably. Uh, Quentin Tarantino said that because he was so good at all those all the languages, he basically like he made the film. Like the film wouldn't have been able wouldn't have been as believable if you didn't believe that if you didn't have, if you didn't have an actor that you could believe could switch between all these languages like beautifully yeah. and and he does and he, ma- he he's obviously have some kind of mastery of those three languages and i mean we'll talk about this in the future of course he goes on to win the academy award for best supporting actor for this role like he did yeah. really really good he was yeah. he was just man like when you watch it like he puts you on edge or he creeps you out like oh, he does a good job God of doing almighty. that as an as an a character as an actor and, like, and really good and at the end, when he kind of like you mentioned, he he basically switches sides, right? He rigs, he takes the, the 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 explosives that were on Brad Pitt's leg, and puts them in Hitler's uh, opera box. Opera box. Yep. So it, it feels like it, at first when you're watching it, it feel it feels kind of out of place. But like, if you really think about his character in 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 totality throughout the movie, it makes perfect sense. Like he is he is more in more obsessed with himself. Than he is about what he's more. Well, I would say he's more of a player for himself than he is for the Nazis. He, he, he's in love with the fact that he is such a good detective that he can. He he has such a reputation that he's so good at at finding hidden hidden Jewish people that he would. He doesn't care that he's doing it for the Nazi cause. He's just he just wants the recognition that he's such a good detective. And you can see that he kind of gets upset at Brad Pitt there's when he's like, where, where, at the end where he's like, I thought there was some kind of mutual respect, respect here. Yeah, and, and, like, you're wrong. Yeah. <laughs> he's like, I'm a damn good detective. Yeah. My issue with that, Brian, like, I was watching that movie, and it was really good, but his switching over is like the only thing, one of the only things that actually took me out of the movie. Because it's like, if he wasn't going to switch over, why did he kill BVH? It made no sense to me. Like... Other than just being angry at her for like whatever, but like it, it didn't make sense. That's like, a good point. You know, I didn't like, think about like that. and like and the way that this was the only thing. Like, like because I was like, he captures Rain. He, no, I'm sorry, kills BBH, captures Rains, goes and drops off the bomb, and beats Rain and his man to where they were going. Yeah, that that part was the only thing that didn't make sense. I, I was a little thrown off by that, but hmm. whatever. I'm not gonna. 
There was this movie is not obviously a real movie, so like something's gonna be off. I accept that. But other than that, I thought Christoph was the Christoph Waltz did fantastic. Like, yeah. I, and another thing, and another thing amazing. too about that whole storyline with the bastards too. It's like, well, Shoshana was gonna, she was murking these fools regardless. Like, no one was surviving. surviving. Exactly. No, like, it was just a matter of whether or not Hitler was gonna burn to death or if he was gonna be shot fifty billion times exactly. in the face. By, no, no, that was really interesting. How they said by Eli Roth. Two congruent, yeah. two congruent so, uh, plots. So back to uh, the chapters, mm-hmm. right? So we got the first three chapters, then you got chapter four and five, which leads the plan into action. Plan into action, um, exactly. From that you that you get from the from the leads. Brad Pitt was quoted as saying that it was set up more like a novel than a movie, and yep. I I, th- I think I, I agree. Most a lot of Quentin Tarantino's movies are set up like that. Like they're in chapters, whether or not they're in chronological order. That's don't always go that way. You're yeah, right. That 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 that's different. This one is in in pretty pretty much chronological. Well, a chronolo- chronology that it's I mean, in most movies don't exist. Most all movies most movies are. I mean, all movies are make believe, right? Right. No one's acting. Whether or not they follow historical events, most of them don't. Right. They're all make believe, really. Right, right. So the only reason that we're talking about this one is because it has a historical setting. Yeah. Well, but to, and to Tarantino's thing, as Brian was alluding to, if you watch Pulp Fiction, it's the chapter, but it's in the middle of the movie. That's where the movie starts, yeah. right? And so yeah. here, it's a chapter, but he's starting it from the very, very beginning. And to your point with Jackie, like say Jackie Brown, which is my favorite movie of his, it goes in circles before it gets to where it's going. In terms yeah, of how he and that was kind of a, th- a way, in, 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 like I, I just got done reading Infinite Jest, okay. and Infinite Jest was published right around the same time that Pulp Fiction came out, and that one's kind of also jump. Like, I don't want to give away the the book, but it doesn't take place in as chronological of an order that you think it's taking place right. in. So, it kind of was a th- like a like a like a motif or a, a way way our artists operated at that time. And he kind of kind he kind of seemed to move out of it in his later movies. Django seemed rather mm. uh, linear, linear, if you will. Yeah. Um, Same with Hateful Yep. So. So the uh, the chapters more like it was more set up like a novel than a movie. Quentin Tar- Tarantino has said that the intro to the movie was influenced by the good, the bad, and the ugly. And we talked about this off mic. I want to talk to you guys about it. That was a hell of a good introduction. Like like yeah. the the intensity that one sees in Mister Lapadite was serious. Like it was burning off the screen and into your soul. You could watch it. Like they did a very very good job. So like, I guess the question that you could ask yourself or anyone really who's if you're listening with anyone. Or if you're listening to it alone, crying in the dark, does is it the actor that makes the part, or is it the writing that makes the part? Like, can, there's a combination in this yeah, case and I, for sure. I it's almost like uh, when they say uh, a quarterback will throw him open, mm-hmm. right? Yep. I think a good writer will make anyone seem like you seem like a like a like a great like well a, a decent actor. And um, so to make the analogy at home for my non-sports people, when you throw a quarter, when a quarterback throws a receiver open, his receiver's covered, and the quarterback will throw it in a place where only the receiver can get it, and the and the D back can't get it. So yeah, it's they it, 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 they kind of imply that it could have been it could have been me out there running, and the quarterback would have given it to you perfectly. Exactly. <laughs> yes, agreed. So in preparation for this movie, Quentin Tarantino said he watched a lot of World War II films. Noted that they did not have a great deal of terror or horror in them, even though they were dealing with like dealing the most with, horrible group yeah, in a long exactly. time. Exactly. Yes. So while they did show Nazi cruelty, they were more like adventure films. They had they had some comedy in them, and for every sadistic Nazi, there was an equally buffoonish 
or figure of ridicule type Nazi character. Or even more of them. Like, I was thinking about Indiana Jones, right? In, in Raiders of the Lost Ark, you got the one super badass Nazi, the guy who burns his hand grabbing the pendant, and yeah. the rest of the Nazis are kind of morons. Yeah, and, right? and yeah, you could have a combination of such in the... In the in the in the movie, and that's what yeah we mentioned it. Uh, we talked about it a couple times now in the episode Raiders of the Lost Ark. That's, that's what I'm saying. Yeah, yeah. So Quentin said that he made a World War II movie that you could actually enjoy and cheer at. Yeah. So it it basically it's a it's what it's a revenge film, right? Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's exactly what it is. Classic revenge film. I think you'd have a hard time. Like so, so he did it. He did this movie, right? He did, and I think his next movie was uh, Django. Django. So you'd be hard pressed to find a population of people outside of slave owners and Nazis that you could just gloriously slaughter yeah, very true. and cheer behind. So, so yeah, I mean, he picked a population, a bad guy that that you can pretty much say that, however they die, it's good. Yeah, I right? mean, there. I mean, in reality, there were shades of gray with German soldiers. Um, not probably. I can't imagine every one of them agreed with what they were doing, but. Enough history is enough history has gone past us now where where we can we can all kind of watch a movie like this and be like, yes, murder the shit out of them. Yes. You know? Agreed. So Christoph Waltz was uh was quoted as saying that this was a it was the Nazi World War II movie to end all Nazi World War II movies. Because like where else can you go at, like you've taken this to the point where you've 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 slaughtered Hitler and his high command, and like you pretty much taken out the the entire leadership apparatus and ends the war. Yes, about about. So we talked about this. How how like so the action takes place. We know it takes place about 1944. Doesn't really say when. So June 1944, right? That's when D Day occurred. So at, at best, that gives about a year. Let's say roughly a year of. Before Hitler actually offed himself in uh, April of forty-five, yep. so if you got if you got a, if you got about a year, you're talking probably tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands, of lives saved. And survived, yeah, yeah. So in regards to you know it being the movie that end all Nazi movies, the, yeah, the end all to Nazi movies, yeah. I mean, you you basically you've changed history to the point where. You've, what kind of other fictional Nazi movie could you make now after having eliminated all of the Germans? Exactly. All the Nazis. I understand. Yeah. But, and I think that my issue when I first watched this movie, like, I didn't like it because I felt like Tarantino at this point, you know, had, had a run of success. And I kind of felt it was one of those where, like, he was just doing whatever he wanted to do. And that's kind of what I felt like. did feel awfully brazen. When I it? watched it. Like, at the time, you know. Yeah. And I found it funny that, you know, I felt that way. And really, I hadn't explored this movie much since I saw it. Like one or two times way back in the day, I find it funny that I felt that way. That you know, this is just super fictional. He did whatever he wanted. One of Brad Pitt's next movies is a true to life, most accurate tank war movie ever, as opposed to this fiction, which I thought was almost frighteningly accurate. That movie was good too. Yeah. Fury is what we're talking about. So yeah, that was another Fury. one where, where I find it interesting that you know Brad Pitt's next choice was to go. Yeah, and, and speaking of Brad Pitt, Brad. Pitt did did mention the Quentin, and I was watching an interview with the two of them. He did express concerns about where Quentin Tarantino was going with the ending of this movie, because, like we said, you have to be rather brazen to think that you can just up and change, change history. history yeah. You know, so uh, what they were what they talked about in the interview was that Quentin was such a was he he studied World War II so well that. He knew what he was was changing. He wasn't just like going in there, just changing it for the sake of changing it, because like killing a bunch of Nazis and 
like murdering Hitler uh, beyond all recognition would be a fun thing to do. He knew what he knew what he was doing, and like we met, we were talking. If you're like a writer and you need you want to change the writing genre, you have to you have to be, be a master of yes, what you're you doing, be an right? Before you can change stuff. And if you want, if you need to understand history before you can change history, so Agreed. and that's that's essentially what what Quentin was 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 doing with this movie. And like all Tarantino movies, this movie is extremely violent and funny at the same time. Like you know, it's one of those weird things where you don't want to be laughing at what he's doing, but you find yourself laughing, and he's extraordinarily violent. Like I say, when I talk about bashing brains in, when I talk about scalping, you see that in this film. Like, they do that shit, like, without even thinking about it. Like, he's just part of their deal. Yeah, he's very good at making you laugh at uncomfortable things. Mm-hmm. Right? Always has been. Yep. Yep. So, I mean, yeah, yeah, back to his first movies. So, when this movie came out, uh, it was about 2009, there, so there was, there, so there was a lady named Kim Masters whose father, Peter Masters, uh, was a... He was he was born in Germany and he he left Germany in before the war started and, and he moved to England. So he saw the writing on the wall, though. Yeah, yes. yeah. Well, he was so he was Jewish and he was he was he was facing anti-Semitism like rampant mm-hmm. in in Germany. So she wrote an article basically stating that like her father and his, some of his soldier some of the other soldiers that he fought with seemed to be the inspiration for Ing- the In- Inglorious Bastards. I couldn't find any evidence of Quentin Tarantino directly stating that that this population of uh, soldiers directly influenced him for this movie. He started writing the hit the script for Inglorious Bastards in 1998. Uh, there's a there's an individual named Peter Masters who wrote about what was called the X Troop from from the uh, English ar- army. I think uh, he, the book was called Strike Back. Striking Back. Striking Back. Striking back. Uh, he wrote that in 1997. So, and the the Weinst- the Weinstein's who ended up ultimately producing Inglorious Bastards did attempt. To, they had a, a a shot at optioning Striking Back, but they ended up not doing it for reasons I I, I couldn't find. But they ended I up not. They optioned it and didn't make the movie. Well, no, it sounds like the option they, that they were going to do the option, but that they okay. didn't do it. That's according to uh, Kim Masters, the uh, the uh, the journalist uh, daughter of Peter Masters. So to make a long story short, so Peter Masters, he, he his real name was Peter Arany. He moved from Germany to England. When he moved there, he worked in a labor camp. Well, not not then he worked in labor, but he worked hard labor. He was praying for the war to start because they wanted. There was no other, like, well, how else were they going to get rid of Hitler? Because, you know, I mean, Quentin Tarantino wasn't going to come and make a movie and change history. Agreed. So they needed a war. Um, <laughs> That's the only way to remove it. Yeah, it's, uh, yeah. He, was, he, was, he was an unreasonable man, so the only way to do it would be through unreasonable means, which is a world war. So they, they remo- they, he was hoping for war. And when the war started, because he was a German citizen, he was put into an internment camp. While in the internment camp, he found that the English army was recruiting for a dangerous and hazardous uh, mission, and he decided that he was going to apply for this. And they were only taking the best of the best for this X troop. X troop, they called it. Yeah, Yeah, nice. So they ended up with, uh, in Peter Masters' case, he ended up being put into uh, uh, the Normandy invasion, and um, when he was there. During the invasion, he had a uh, uh, in a situation that would have been every bit as good as, or every bit as interesting as anything that was in in Inglorious Bastards. So, 
His commanding officer told him to that he had to go down a road, an empty, deserted road, and he was kind of wondering. He was like, well, why do I have to go down this road? And then it kind of struck him. He's like, I'm going to draw out fire so they can see where the where the guys are. So rather than disobey an order, he, uh, he said he thought all that training gone to waste because he was a highly trained special like commando that was designed to be able to go behind enemy lines. Special ops. Yeah, special ops. Yep. So he was like, oh, great. So I got to go do this. While he's adhering to this order, in his head, he's thinking about this movie Gunga Din that he had seen with Cary Grant. Okay. So there's a scene where apparently Cary Grant is surrounded by the enemy and he says coolly, you are all under arrest. And in true Cary Grant fashion, everything's... I've never, never seen Gunga Din, but I'm assuming he lives, right? He's Cary Grant. So while he's walking down the street, he's like, you know what? I'm going to pull some shit similar to this. And in, in his German, in, in perfect German, because he was from Germany, he yells out, surrender, all of you. Come out. You are completely surrounded and don't have a chance. So didn't necessarily work. It kind of worked because one guy started t- took a shot at him. He took a shot at the guy. I think you said, actually, you said there was silence for a little bit, and then this guy popped out of nowhere and tried yeah. to shoot him. Our guy ducks, shoots back. Yep. Both miss each other. Our and, guy's gun jammed. Yep. And he's trying to get his gun back. Certain he's going to die, and you said that all of a sudden all of his crew was behind him. Yep, his, his, his crew came, and bayonets fixed. They are ready to fight for him. So, I mean, that 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 that's every bit as good as anything that was in this movie. It's interesting that that happened. Let me, let me say, it's interesting that it happened because obviously German speaking, and that's how he was able to help him out. What we didn't talk about in the quick synapses was that there were, you know, basically it's, it's like a Jewish-American troop of soldiers taking out Nazis behind mm-hmm. enemy lines. There are actually... Two Germans who joined up. So there's an yeah. Austrian-American who left Germany and went to the United States when he saw what was happening, joined all those groups. Yep. And then there was a guy named Stiglitz, Ugo Stiglitz, who was part of the SS yep. and just turned m- on him, just murdered everybody. And We were talking, we were, were like, we couldn't really pinpoint in the movie why like he why did he did it. it maybe, maybe it didn't matter. He did it. He I, was, wish I, would, I wish he I was. Known. There was one was, scene where he gets lashed, right? So I'm assuming that that, yeah. that was it. That was beginning kitchen. Regardless, the the fact that there's a in real life there was a German American who was using his German. Or I'm sorry, there was a German soldier working with the British to use his German to help out was so yeah. similar to the scenes in this movie. Like, that yeah. was really really good. I, and I a lot scene. of it, well, uh, it lot, there was a lot of similarities. So and and Peter Masters, uh, when they asked him why he wrote the book, he said he wanted or why he fought. Um, what when he was. He was on a like a book tour, so they asked him what, why why did he decide to fight, and he said that uh, he wanted to fight against, and and reason why he wrote the book too is he wanted to fight against the idea that all Jewish people were like lambs led to the slaughter in World War Two, and that's kind of what the movie's about too. Um, one of the many things that the movie's about. Well, when you say that, it's it's funny you say that because when you think about it, there weren't a lot of movies or a lot of even literature or history that I know of that, that would indicate anything else. Because you're right. Like, yeah. It, it all like, just seems like the Americans came and made everything better. Like, that's the kind of, like, running commentary for World War II when there was a lot of stuff going on. And we learned, right? And so this is the same era, right? This movie comes out, I think within a couple of years, another movie comes out, Defiance, which is a, a factual story of a group of Jewish survivors who end okay. up arming up and taking, taking was, the war to... Uh, to, to the Nazis. James well. Bond was in that movie, right? Daniel Craig, yes. Okay. I, I did not see that movie. Yeah, so they're Peter, not lamps to the slaughter. Yeah, so Peter Masters wasn't wasn't alive when the when the um when the movie came out. Uh, he had for, unfortunately passed away. But 
his daughter Kim Masters wrote an article, and she had been in touch with some of the uh, other what some of the guys that were in other guys that were in X Troop, and they were kind of so they I guess the there must have been the prevailing thought must have been that they were Quentin Tarantino's movie was somewhat based off of these guys, but they didn't scalp people, they didn't murder people unnecessarily, so. What I, I think what Kim Masters and the the survivors of X Troop were trying to get across was that this was pure fantasy, pure fiction. There was some, I, and I guess I can't imagine anyone who knew any kind of history or had, had any kind of decent history class, uh, World War II uh, 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 education, would think that this was based off of any kind of fact other than World War Two did happen. Exactly. There yeah. were situations going on in France. Yeah, like not like I can't imagine. I mean, I don't know what Hitler's viewing practices were. I don't know if he ever, you know, uh, hold himself up in a movie theater like that, considering the considerable risk that could be, especially if you're in a country you're occupying. So, I especially I mean, we know that we know that through through other actions of popular culture we know that there were many attempts on his life i believe that even sure. in this era valkyrie with tom cruise comes out where the, that the whole movie is a plot to kill adolf hitler so yeah i, I imagine that and in that yeah. movie they talk about the lengths of security so i imagine you're right it's very likely that he was not in some theater that this situation could arise like it yeah was clearly so this is this is pure fiction. pure fantasy pure... An alternative history if you will yeah exactly 100 percent alternative history well not 100 like nine, like 75 percent alternative history some of it was i mean World War Two happened. Right. Can't deny that. No. So well, and so at first viewing of this film, like back in the day, and subsequent viewings back in the day, I really didn't like this film. Like in terms of Quentin Tarantino movies, like the least favorite was Death Proof, and then this one, and probably the least watched was Reservoir Dogs. Then this one, yeah. I watched it a couple times for this uh, for this project, and actually it was better than I remembered. It's it's aged better, like particularly because I came at it with the idea that this was an alternative history as opposed to anything else, and. I actually ended up liking the movie much more than I remember liking it. Like, it was really, really well yeah. done. It was well-written. Like, he did good. Again, then there was only one thing that threw me off was when was when, all, was, was when uh, Christoph Waltz switched sides. But other than that, like, I thought yeah. he was linear. I thought he kicked ass. Like, the, the dialogue was fantastic. His ultra-violence, which he always does, was pretty damn good. Like, everything was solid about this movie. The actors were good. I, I liked uh, Bridget Van Hammersmark. Her name is Diane Kruger. Yep. She appears later in a, in a television show called The Bridge. I absolutely love that show. She's very good. She was in a movie that you remember very well. Uh, she was uh, Helen of Troy. Was she? Yes. Uh, not, no, I did in, not remember in, that very well. That in the sucks. very... Uh, <laughs> controversial Controversial, Troy. infamous movie, Troy, that I... Apparently took you and Kevin to on a date, as you called it. <laughs> so again, so that's it. I wish I would have known. Besides trying to figure out why Lana switched sides without the motivation, which I couldn't figure out. I also wish the only thing I really cared different in this movie was I wish I would have had a little more on Stiglitz's back story because I thought he was a phenomenal. Yeah, character. and on to the point where why he didn't shoot Shoshana mm. um, in the script. I because I had that was my question too. I was like, well, why in the hell? So of course I I Googled it because Google knows everything, and I came across the script and the the scene right after where he lets her go, yeah, where he's like, au revoir, Shoshana. Exactly. Um, one of his soldiers is like, well, why did you let her go? And he's like, oh, he basically says something to the effect that she'll die in the woods, and after everyone everyone knows who I am, I'm the what do they? I think they, they call, call him the, the Jew, the Jew hunter. hunter. Yeah. 
everyone knows who he is and after they know after they see what we did here no one no one else would be willing to, to help her help her, her out yep. so so he basically is say, stating that she's probably going to die of starvation or exposure or some shit like that in in the forest so so that 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 kind of puts a bow on that for me yeah. on that no, line. it makes sense that's perfect because I didn't know why and I didn't explain that that's, that's clear to me from from listening to some interviews and reading some interviews with Quentin Tarantino he it sounds like he wrote an awful lot for like backstory for people in this movie but he didn't film like any of it so I think there's a lot of motivational things that only he and the actors knew that he never really had any intention of filming he did. He did mention when he was writing this that he planned on this being his, like he. I guess he was being on an interview with Charlie Rose, and he was saying that, like this is this is when he started writing it. He he was considering it his masterpiece, yep. and he, he wrote he it refers, as he, refers he wrote to, it as such. He has a line. He has two lines in the movie. Like yeah. where after he carves one swastika into a forehead, B.J. Novak's character Udovich says, "This might be your masterpiece," and he says, "You don't get to Carnegie Hall well, without practice." So, he said the first one they, they see him carving. He's with Eli Roth, and he says, That's, no, "I'm sorry." Not he carves either. it in, and he he says he goes, he goes, you know how to get to Carnegie Hall by practice, practice. Yep. And so then, at, and then at the end of the movie, saying. he uh, he carves the not the swastika into Walt's forehead, and Brad Pitt refers to it as his masterpiece. He says, "You know, this very well could be my masterpiece." And I thought that was yes. like an extension that of Tarantino. Was, thing. Yeah, that was that was Tarantino saying that. Yeah. And I guess there was some thought that Tarantino was going to play Aldo Rain at some point. I think that's what I read or, he or heard. He, did some work he does. Him. He does put himself in movies. He's in the movie from. Apparently, he's the first Nazi scalp that gets taken. That's oh, really? that's Quentin's head. Yeah. So, so uh, well, I want to talk about Aldo Rain a little bit uh, before we move on. Do it. So Aldo Rain to me is is a fascinating character because he is probably one of the only characters in like I would in a movie that I've in a modern movie that I've seen that doesn't have an arc. He's he's one of the main characters and he he doesn't he doesn't change at all. Like he basically stays the exact same. And I was and I had thought I mean I the thought had crossed my mind that he doesn't change at all. Yeah. And then um Brad Pitt and Quentin Tarantino were in an interview talking and they they put it bl- like plainly like he's so who he is that even when he's trying to be an Italian guy at the end, like it's like he keeps that little crazy mustache that he has. Yeah, he's he's like why? Like you would probably shave that off because it looks like a like a sleazy backwoods American mustache. So he keeps the mustache. He bar- he doesn't he like his accent is like it's, so funny. <laughs> it's, it's that, basically that his hilarious. southern yeah, accent. Exactly. He's like Gorlami, <laughs> Bongiorno, Bongiorno. So it, like he doesn't change at all. So I mean, and he's a great. He's a great character. He, and I think to me, he's kind of like the. He's the center of the movie, and he's kind of the thing. The movie, the part of the he's he's what the entire movie revolves around. So he really doesn't have to change. Yeah. He just kind of he's the anchor of the movie to me. So I just thought that was a that was an interesting um, uh, tidbit about the character. I wanted to circle back real quick to Shoshana and Marcel. So Marcel was Shoshana's black boyfriend. Mm-hmm. This is important because it's made clear to the audience that they are lovers. However, it's not made clear to the characters in the movie. Yeah, and this is also important as a plot point because because in the the characters consider Marcel to be her employee, 
where we know it's more than that. But the reason that it's important that he's an employee is because he's a projectionist like she is. When they determine that the Nazi high command will be coming to watch the movie in her theater, they're very explicit saying that Marcel cannot be the projectionist. And so this leads into or helps out with the with the construction of the plot, how they end the movie. Like, so what ends up happening is Marcel goes to the back of the movie behind the screen where all the nitrate films are and lights it up while Shoshana's working the projection. Yeah. Right? So like, yep. it was important in that aspect. Like, and the other thing that was striking, because it's a Nazi movie, it's nothing but white people. Like, it's nothing yeah. but white people all around. So Marcel is a attractive man, a beautiful man, and you see it. Like, I think that's striking in this film. I thought that was kind of a real good artistic thing Tarantino did in this movie. Yeah. And, yeah. And, and to finish it off, a character that was marginalized ends up being one of the main characters. Not one of the main characters, but ends up doing something that really helps kill all the Nazis. Yeah, I mean, nice. yeah, he's he's the one who locks all the doors. He pretty much sets most of the plan in motion, and he lights the match. That's it. Yeah. So, like, it was important. Like, I just want to make sure that if you watch well, it, you see how he gets marginalized, how he gets pushed aside, but he does have an important technically, role. Technically, so. he tosses the cigarette. Yes. So. <laughs> Agreed. Real quick, I just want to talk about Tarantino. Like I say, is all of these of all of his movies extremely violent and funny. He has a couple of Academy Award wins in 1995. He won Best Writing Screenplay, written directly for the screen for Pulp Fiction, and uh, he also won Best Original Screenplay in 2013 for Django Unchained. He was nominated for Best Director for Pulp Fiction, nominated for Best Director and Best Original Screenplay for Inglorious Bastards. He wrote True Romance. Which is one of my favorite movies of all time. Yeah, fantastic I, movie. I think Jackie Brown is his best film. When I talk about Tarantino and researching this, I kind of see a little of like the great directors in him. He is a great director, but but I, I think that it's clear he's a studier of Hollywood. So yeah. he's a little bit like John Ford. He's a little bit like Martin Scorsese in that he gets his group and makes movies with his group, and thus they always make good movies. Yeah. So like, like say in in John Ford's case, he had John Wayne and all of his people that he worked in country stuff. Martin Scorsese has his people. He works with Leonardo DiCaprio or he'll work with Robert De Niro, and they make good they make good art. Similarly, I feel like Tarantino has a 20, 20 people thereabouts that he works into all of his movies. I think that we talked about in the past his his best two characters, actors, actresses are Samuel L. Jackson and Uma Thurman. But I thought that like here we had some new folks, and I thought that Brad Pitt was very good and Christoph Waltz was excellent. And then he appears in another film for Quentin Tarantino and wins Best Supporting Actor as well. In Django and Django and Chain, yeah, yeah. Awesome. very good in that movie. Another movie about. Um, one other thing I wanted to bring up was the use of language in this movie. Mm-hmm. I thought it was great how they 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 made people speak in the language that they actually spoke in. Um, not everyone; they didn't just default it to English. No, for which, everyone, which forever. Which how it accents was. were really important. And we were talking about this when we we're in preparation for this. Like, for just living in the state, you can tell if someone's from Northern Wisconsin. Southern Wisconsin, I, if they're from Illinois, exactly. yeah, and 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 in doing this podcast and like listening to our voices constantly, I can tell myself that I have a slight Wisconsin accent, yeah. so to speak. So don't you know? Yeah. So it's like you 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 take it for granted <laughs> that you you can't really hear your own accent, but you can you have a you have a keen ear for for other the way other people talk, and you take that. In movies, you take it for granted that it just doesn't exist. Like, you, don't no even, one... you don't even notice it yourself. Like, so I, I'm trilingual. So there's, there's another reason I love this film. Yeah. Like, when I spent time, say, in El Salvador, where I speak Spanish exclusively, they can't place my accent. Like, they don't know where 
fuck you from? You know what I mean? Like, well, they, it's like that scene in so the like, in the tavern with Michael Fassbender's yeah. British German accent. So it ends up my dad's like, oh no, that's a Milwaukee accent in Spanish. Like you don't, <laughs> it, it's very rare. I, I believe <laughs> you mentioned at some point that you uh, they. When, in one of the episodes, you were saying you watched a lot of Dallas as a child. When I was early, when a young and people thought that you were twang, you were speaking with a southern twang. Yeah, yeah. so it's like yeah, like that stuff is highly noticeable, especially when it's out of place. Speaking of it being out of place, I think that's another reason why Brad Pitt's character is so fantastic because he is Mr. Pitt is originally from Oklahoma. Yeah, but all the rain is from Tennessee. And when you're watching it, he, he kind of comes off as John Wayne, and it's just such a ridiculous accent. Like it does not yeah. change. Like he does not. Alter. Just like you say, the, the the scenes where he's speaking Italian are bust out, bust out laughing, funny. Like they're like out of place, hilarious. You know what I mean? Like like he's very very good. Yeah, and I was in an interview that that they they had they did together. Uh, Quentin Tarantino didn't see it in, in in that light, like when he wrote it. But what he said when Brad Pitt delivered the line the way he did in when he was pretending to be Italian that it was perfect. And that was the only way they could do it. Then, yep. like he exactly. didn't, he couldn't change it because he goes, he couldn't see it any other way from that point on. And I think it's one of those things where I don't think Brad Pitt gets nearly enough credit for being uh, uh, as good of an actor as he is. We would agree. I know we, yeah. we talk about your man crush on him and how much I had. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Yes, I, I think he's a very good actor. Yeah. No, he's great and fantastic. I thought he was very good in this. The one last little thing I want to touch on: the film's title was inspired by direct by director Enzo G. Castellari's movie the inglorious bastards like yeah. so our uh, but i believe in 1978 proper spelling that's what i was saying the movie here or quintana's movies bastards is spelled with an e as opposed to an a yeah and uh i guess there was some issue not issue but controversy like where does the name come from and he wasn't quite saying i mean it's pretty obvious in the movie if you watch it that it, it was a, a misspelling by by aldo rain he wrote inglorious bastard on his on his rifle when he sets it down you see it's on the oh, stock oh really so like he's obviously I think it's a it's an indication as to the educational education level of all the rain. Interesting, I didn't know that. Cause, so because I watched it with captions and they always refer to him as bastards with an e. It's, it's never yeah. said correctly. It was, it was yeah, and it's written like the way it's written for the intro, how it looks like it's handwritten. That's written on 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 his rifle. You know, you have end, to go... Yes, when the... no, no, right in the beginning. But when also they, at when the they... end, like when they cl- in the clothing scene, it's in cursive thing, glorious bastards. Like, yeah, that's in the rifle. I got you now. Yeah. So like that's that's his his uh, to me because he is he is the mo- like he's the center of the movie. That's his spelling of it. That's how they, they spelled work. it, and that's how the movie Makes that's sense. how the movie is portrayed. So. So anything else you got on Inglorious Bastards? I think that was it. Christoph Waltz was amazing. Brad Pitt was very yeah, good. It was a great Diane movie. Diane Kruger was very good. Tarantino, like so we, we we can get them deeper, but he's he's excellent. I thought yeah. those are just a really good movie. So, in your opinion, is is this an alternative history that you accept? I guess would be well a way to say it. It's more like it's an alternative. It's a piece of alternative history that I like. Like yeah. you know, that's much that I accept because what can I do about it? It's already out there. You well, know, yeah, you know, yeah. Right? Sure. But I, but and that's what we talked about in the past. Why we like our show, this podcast, because we can do different things. And so we initially, like I said, we're looking at this just as a piece of alternative history, the same way we looked at the Star Trek episode. And like I told you, man, when I first saw it, I didn't like this movie. Like I, I swear. I, I remember when we came out of the theater, you, you, you were, you were kind of put off, and I was kind of put off by it too, like how brazen you can be. But so when I was watching it again and thinking about like some other stuff that that people have done, like so Nazis is a is a pretty, it's it's a subject that we keep on revisiting in pop culture. Yes. So something that we don't like. So obviously. yeah. So 
obviously in Star Trek in that episode that we talked about last week, uh, they were willing to posit a scenario where the Nazis could have, you know, taken over the world, right? And in terms of an alternative history, right? Like, this one we're talking about, like, a, possibly within a year, where, where in Star Trek it was, like, a five or six years after, and then the future yeah, after that. Yeah, exactly. Yes, so, yes, like, yes. the entire, like, the entire future of every like you know, the world of the universe of of, of the galaxy star trek was in, of was the, in peril yes. of, was in peril because yes. of of edith keeler and then we brought up in the very first episode uh, man in the high castle which posits what a world would be like with if if germany had charge. if germany had won the war so they i think both those take take an alternative history way beyond anything that Quentin Tarantino did. Quentin Tarantino just kind of moved the timeline up a yeah. little, a couple, like at best a year and say, probably saved, like I said, tens, if not hundreds of thousands of lives in doing so. So to me, it's not that out of pocket for him to do something like this. Like it has been stretched beyond far beyond what he did in, in previous incarnate incarnations of, of Nazis and, alternative histories well and the other part too right like the, the fact that he did this i think also allowed him to make Django unchained which was a movie that no one movie style genre that no one ever seen like it's not yeah. a western it's like a southern you know what i mean like yeah. it's, a, it's a completely different type of movie it's... that never happened but when you watch it you're like yeah that could have happened that would have been sweet that's how it could have gone down so like this was one of his first ventures into alternative history but you're right it's not like a grand scheme of the alternative history. It's like it's like yeah. a pocket of alternative history. And I'm really interested to see what he does next because he seems to be on a, like a, a, a like an alternative history arc. So he's doing uh, his next film is supposed to be some kind of take on the Manson murders. Yeah. See, I don't know if that's gonna be alternative history or if it's gonna be like a real thing with that guy. I don't know because like when you hear Quentin Tarantino was making a World War II movie, you're probably you, I get first, uh, my initial reaction was like, wow, this will be kind of interesting. Yeah. It'll probably be oh, something. I'm, no, it will be interesting. I don't deny that. So who knows what what yeah. what it'll be? But we're, I'm interested to find out. Um, so there you have it. Uh, I do want to thank everyone for listening. We had a listener come uh, leave us a uh, uh, an audio review, so we would like to play that for you guys now. So I'd just like to say thank you to Stella for sending that to us. It's good to know that people are out there listening and comprehending what we're what we're saying. So, but you know, in 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 seriousness, uh, thank you for listening. Uh, we appreciate all the Twitter support we've been getting. Uh, Facebook. Again, we know you guys could you guys could use your time any way you want. So the fact that you're listening to us, we really appreciate it. Yeah, let us know what you think. Like Rodrigo's fond of saying, "Do we suck?" <laughs> Does my voice make you want to pull your hair out or yeah. dig your eyes out? Let us know. <laughs> uh, you can reach us at Alternative History Podcast at gmail.com. We're on Facebook, Alternative History. Twitter, we're at Alt History PC. Mm-hmm. iTunes, subscribe, listen, uh, Google Play. So, this is the, uh, the penultimate episode of what's going to end up being the first season of Alternative History. We'll be back soon. Yeah, we're going we'll to take, take a little break. We're going to come back one more episode this season. We're gonna give ourselves a treat. We're gonna talk about the Simpsons. It's probably the biggest, one of the bigger influences in our life. Definitely huge on our, our reference points. For yeah. Sure. So uh, we're gonna come back with that. We're gonna be talking about the alternative histories with uh, the Simpsons family backstory. Yes. So we're gonna be examining some of that. So again, thank you for listening. We'll be back with one more episode. We're gonna take a break. About. Yep. 
couple months. Just keep looking at Twitter. Keep looking at yeah. Facebook. We'll keep you updated as to when we'll be coming back. Yep. Thanks a lot again. Have a great day. Thanks. Thanks.